All right, guys, welcome to the Justice Filmmakers Podcast. My name is Justice, and I'm sitting here today with uh, a good friend, Brad Conomy. Brad, dude, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Thanks for having me. No, man. Um, and uh, so for, for those of you guys who don't know Brad, um, he's the director of photography based in Sydney, Australia. Um, and we met a few years ago, and I've had the privilege of working with him a lot. And um, just, uh, you know, you're, you're really good at what you do, but also knowledge-wise in terms of like, gear but also you know just kind of the artistic stuff like just some of the subtle subtle stuff that you can do like i find you know a lot of people do a lot of the same stuff similarly but there will be those really um really kind of like fine small touches that you'll do whether you'll like shoot through a prism or you know you just have a little bit of a reflector going um yeah dude so for the guys who are listening who haven't heard of you are you able to kind of just give a bit of a background as to um, what you do, but kind of how you got into film and, you know, how you got started and how you worked way up to where you're at now? Well, um, yeah, so as you said, I'm a, a DP uh, based in Sydney and uh, I do everything from documentary, TV commercials, um, story-driven content as well. Mm-hmm. That's, that's more or less what I do. Um, before COVID, I was doing a lot of travel, not so much now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I guess... I started, um, I did a fine arts degree back in the day and I was a painter, particularly portraits. I don't think I was particularly good, but I learned a lot about how light hits things um, and how it reacts to different surfaces. And uh, while I was at university, digital cameras were kind of just starting to come out. Uh, so I just kind of started to pick up cameras and use them as a kind of a quicker way of of painting, if that makes sense. So um, storytelling, you could make an image quicker than you could if you were painting, um, but then you could also tell a story in a way that I found engaging. So I kind of started to teach myself how to use cameras at university. And um, there weren't a lot of, of the lecturers there that knew anything about cameras. So I was kind of in the end, teaching them about basic camera stuff and editing. And um, my dad owned video stores growing up um, when video stores were massive, like in the 90s. And so I was always working in video stores and had access to any movie or, you know, video game or <laughs> anything like that. So um, I, I watched a lot of movies growing up and that kind of continued through uni and I kind of found directors that I kind of like the style of. And so then when it came to making documentaries for university or just after university, I was trying to find ways of emulating the style that they were doing or do you know what I mean? Like trying to find ways to replicate what they were doing on a big, you know, big budget. So yeah, I mean, that's after I finished university, um, I then took a job at one of the news networks. Um, So I would, do the the sunrise, like the early morning news. So I would basically find uh, file footage for them to run in in the news programs. Um, And then when I wasn't being approached by producers to find footage that they needed for the news, I would often log camera tapes. So the the footage that the cameramen would go out and get, I would then sit there and describe it so that they could find it on the computer um, at a later date or know what to save onto their master tapes. So I feel like that's that's the time when I, I was kind of looking at what camera people, in this case, news cameramen, 
how they would film sequences and what they would shoot to make the story, if that makes sense. So um, that was kind of like, I guess it was a big push into like, okay, you can make images on a kind of creative artistic level, but then there's also these rules that you can kind of follow to create a narrative. Um, and so at that same time, because I worked early morning shifts, I was able to go out in the afternoon and shoot my own docos. So um, I'd shoot docos on skaters and musicians and things like that. And um, a couple of them won awards. And um, so, and so from there, I was just like, well, maybe this is something that if I can find a way to kind of commercialize what I'm doing, yeah, um, maybe there's something in it. Yeah, that's wild, dude, because, you know, for – for me, and I think for a lot of people, you know, most people, they'll start, you know, if they're studying, they'll start with, okay, this is how a camera works. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. And then they got to figure out all the like artistic stuff and how to frame and how, like composition and everything after, you know, but for you, it was kind of the opposite, you know, like with painting, you learned what a good frame was. You learned what good lighting was. You learned what, you know, what really worked and what didn't. And then in essence, you know, you're kind of in terms of all that stuff that you've taught yourself, you're pretty much self-taught, essentially. Yeah, I think just being able to watch what other people are doing is a great way to learn. And then trying to do that and seeing if it works for you or whether there's things you need to adjust. And I think it's I think it's an interesting way because you have the the art background, you can kind of composition is is composition and there's there's certain rules and principles, but then there's also times where you can break that. And um, news is very by the by the book, in the way that th- yeah. things are shot, um, and it doesn't make it any less of an art form because there's you know great news cameramen and um, guys that shoot amazing stuff and know how to really really light. But I think uh, a lot of the time they they're under such time pressure to to shoot stuff. Whereas I'm oh, totally. I'm more interested in exploring things, and that's where I think the art background comes in. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's cool. How did you, you know, because kind of when you're saying, all right, I went to uni, you know, I studied and then I got out and I started doing my own little stuff uh, on the side. Because like now, obviously, you're working on a lot bigger productions. You have a lot of creative say, um, you know, you're, you're shooting things where there's like massive sets and, you know, tons of stuff going on. Because I know a lot of people, you know, when you get out of uni, it's it's a little more practical to start off in like smaller projects with like one or two people crews. How did you make your way to the to the point now where you're with an agency um, working on bigger stuff? Like, did you start, were you doing your own stuff and then you started like, you know, interning on like bigger sets or was it kind of something you did through the news world or how did you get, um, get there? Because I know the stuff you do now, it's like, it's not really necessarily news-based, like it's really cinematic um, you know, all the ads, even, you know, live performance stuff. Um, how did you make that jump from, you know, kind of being fresh out of school where you're doing, um, you know, stuff on your own, on your time off from work to being able to do something that's kind of on a bigger scale? Yeah, well, I think um, at some point while I was at the news network, I kind of thought, oh, maybe I do want to be a news cameraman. But I'm looking back, I'm glad that I, I didn't follow that path um, because, it gave me a little bit more flexibility. But uh, I guess my first experience on really big sets, um, I I can't really remember how it happened, but I got in contact with one of the producers um, that was working on a, on a feature film 
uh, in Sydney and I, and I kind of naively thought, oh, I'll go for a camera operator position. And like, <laughs> you know, like um, they were shooting on Super 16 and I had no experience um, shooting on film, yeah. film or anything like that. Uh, so, but they called me in and, and they um, had an interview with them. And they're like, oh, we've seen some of the skate documentaries that you've done and we'd like you to come on and do the behind the scenes um, documentary for for the feature film. Um, and so I did that with a mate of mine. Um, and we basically just, I think the, the schedule is like a 30-day feature film shoot, shooting in Sydney and Adelaide. And um, I think uh, we might have been on set for maybe... 16 of of those shoot days which was really good yeah so a good chunk of it yeah so i kind of kind of kicking myself well actually i've got all the footage from it i should maybe go back and watch it and see how they did things back then but um it was kind of like a i probably wasn't paying enough attention at the time but um it was kind of an introduction to how hard film crews work and different roles um not that i understood what all the roles were um but through that, I became friends with the DP um, and he then had me come and do behind-the-scenes docos for all the music videos that he was shooting. Um, and he's now, you know, one of Australia's top DPs. So I kind of got to see his career grow and, um, and I guess try and learn from it a little bit. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I think it's cool because you're... I think just kind of the awareness that, you know, you're like, yeah, I was a young kid and I could have, I could have learned more, but like, you know, for you, like hindsight's always 2020 when you're fresh out of school or you don't have a lot of experience, when you get the chance to be on a big set, you got to be like a sponge. Do you know what I mean? You got to take in as much as you can. You got to network as much as you can, because especially at the, at the beginning, you know, if you're not getting paid really, that's all you're getting out of it. Um, so for you then, so you're doing all these, um, you know, behind the scenes and whatnot, um, what kind of made you be able to take the jump into doing things like, you know, music videos and documentaries and stuff? Because like, I know for me, like I've done a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I know a lot of listeners have, um, but sometimes it, it kind of can feel like, I know I've heard of people kind of feeling like they've just become like the, the behind the scenes guy, right? Like they're like, oh, we're doing this. You want to come and shoot it. Um, how were you able to make the jump into being, you know, like the main, like the main principal shoot? Okay. So after I was shooting, or probably at the same time that I was shooting all the the behind the scenes docos for people, I was also doing heaps of corporate work and weddings and whatever would would pay the bills. And I took jobs as um, video, like as a video journalist for a while. Um, and I worked at a reality TV company as their in house um, director and editor. And then started my own after working there for a little bit. Started my own production company. Um, we had a company that I had done some work for um, and they said, would you look after all our social media, um, which was really like quite an emerging industry, I guess, at, at that time. Would you be able to shoot content for our social media and look after our sh- social media like pretty much around the clock? So I started a production company with a mate of mine and we we did just that. We we looked after their media. We, we created weekly, daily content for them and... Um, they gave us a retainer to do that, which um, for any production company oh. is like is what awesome. is what you want to yeah. do. You you want to know at the end of the month that you're going to get this much money, like without fail. Yeah. And on the back of that, 
the the retainer was you know covered both of our wages for I think we did it for five years or something like that. Oh wow! So then, once you've got your wages covered, um, every shoot on top of that is just cream, right? Yeah. So off the base of that, we could then go, okay, like let's go out and approach agencies, let's go and shoot music videos, let's do all these things that normally like you have to try and scrounge around money to get those things to happen. Yeah. But knowing that our wages were covered, we could really just go out and, and create. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was during my time at that production company um, that I worked out, okay, like the social media thing, I could take or leave. Like I know that it's important and it's heading in a certain way, but at the end of the day, I really just want to be shooting. I don't want to be sitting in an office um, or running a running a production company. And so after five years of doing that, I, I decided to to jump out and, and just, you know, call myself a DP and just do that work. Um, so I, I didn't really want to be editing anymore if I didn't have to. And yeah, so I guess it, it just came, came down to a decision in, in the end. I could have kept going through that kind of production, running a production company, but for me, I think freelance cinematography gave me more work-life balance because I had a young family. Yeah. And I mean, I, one, one of the big jobs that, that really pushed me in that direction is I, I got an off, offered um, to shoot a, a documentary that was kind of going to be an around-the-world doco um, mm-hmm. sh- shooting over two and a half years. And so oh, wow. I'm like, okay, well, I, I've got a young family. I don't really want to go away for two weeks stint, come back and then have to go back into the office. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, I can make this work if I'm just a freelance. I don't have any other responsibility apart from the jobs that I take on. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. Like, and I know, like, even in the time I've known you, you know, I've seen you go all over Asia, like Israel, Middle East, everything shooting. Um, so now you're with an agency, and like I've chatted, um, you're actually the first one I've had on the podcast who's signed to an agency. Um, and you know, a lot of a lot of people on social media are asking us, you know, how do we do that? How do we get there? Um, how much experience do I need to have? Um, because I think for a lot of people who don't want to go the union route. You know, you see all these like really big, big ad agencies, you know, for editors and colorists and, and DPs and directors. Um, what was the process like for you to kind of to kind of get in? You know, did you have to submit a reel? Did they reach out to you? Um, or was that something that kind of came through the through the documentary that you were talking about? I think it works a little bit differently in Australia than it might overseas. Uh, but it was really quite an easy process. Um, someone said, oh, you should go and meet with this agency and show them you're real. And so I sent that across and the guy that I met with said, oh, we, we're not really taking anyone now, but we really like your reel, so how about, <laughs> how about joining? Really? Um, it wasn't really a hard process. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess like it's funny because Kevin, like the, the DP we had on last episode, he said it was the same thing. Like um, he's, he's not with an agency, but he is a manager and he said, um, we just went for lunch and he was like, yeah, I want to sign you. Um, and he was like, I thought it was really easy, but like 30 minute meeting really was like a culmination of the last like six years of his, of his work and experience and stuff. Right. So like for you, it might've kind of just seemed like, yeah, I went in and they, and they were like, yeah, we'll take it. But you know, for you, like putting in, you know, 
uni and then then the news and then your independent stuff and all this production company know your real like has to be pretty good you know i'm sure they're not taking just anybody yeah no i i definitely i think that um they saw they saw the potential there um and saw that i'd done some good work but at the end of the day like i think in australia with this agency in particular like they might throw me um two or three jobs a year but it's not like Mm -hmm. you can you can sign with them in a way that they manage everything for you um, but I'm I'm kind of with them in a way that's a little bit more independent um, where I keep all my clients and and can do work outside of them so yeah I think it's a little bit different to how it operates o- overseas but for me like I have over the years built enough contacts which I think is one of the key things that I'm not reliant on an agent to find me work if that makes sense yeah. I like to keep. Yeah, totally. I like. I like to keep it a little bit separate. <laughs> yeah, I think too. Like you know, even if they only give you a little bit, I think, you know, for me, um, Percy, like my my manager, it's for me. It's really freeing sometimes. Like, and and I know for you, it's not all the time. But you know, if they're pretty much able to just say, "All right, here's the thing. You go. You do your thing. You know, you don't necessarily have to worry about finding it. Like, it's." it's kind of all set up for you. You just go in there and you can just focus on doing your work, which, you know, I can imagine there's, there's gotta be some pluses and minuses to both, but, you know, having somebody just give you a project, um, you know, it, it kind of, there's a lot of like mental energy that doesn't have to go into like all networking and find out all the kinks. You can kind of just show up and just kind of do your thing, you know? Yeah. I think, I think the important thing is um, for me not to rely on them finding me work, but to also mm-hmm. be, be active in that, and so yeah. If they if they give me um, a couple of big jobs a year, like that's awesome. That's stuff that I haven't had to go and you know. Well, they they're actually tapping into networks that I'm not kind of in. So um, it's good to know that you you know you've got someone in your corner. Yeah, um, totally. But I would my recommendation to people that aren't signed is like don't let it stop you doing anything, or don't don't see it as a as any kind of um, anything you're missing out on. Or don't be discouraged, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Well, one thing I kind of really want to dive into is, you know, just in terms, I said it earlier, you're, I guess by definition, you're kind of self-taught. Um, and, you know, I know like kind of, I've had so many questions in the past. I'm like, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know, you've had like crazy Sony profiles, you know, Black Magic, you know, like a ton. Um, you've shot literally every camera that I can think of. Um, how do you... Because I know like right now, especially nowadays, you know, it's a feeding frenzy. There's a new camera, there's a new lens, there's a new this, there's a new that. How do you stay on top of that? And how important do you think that is to you as a cinematographer? Like, do you, because I know some people are like, oh, a camera's a camera. But then I know some people that are like, no, you need to know like like a bare minimum of everything that comes out because you don't want to be with a client who's like, we want to shoot on this. And you're like, well, I've never shot on it. So I guess like, where's that balance and how do you stay on top of it nowadays? Yeah. I guess, um, firstly, I'll start by saying like, because I was shooting docos when I was first coming up on like things that, you know, like you shoot skate videos on, um, shooting on anything is better than like those days, right? Like when the 5D Mark II came out or the A7S Mark II, like finally you could get an image that looked like it belonged in a cinema um, and not just, it didn't feel newsy or it didn't feel doco. You could make something that felt narrative. Um, so that was that was a big thing. But um, yeah, like, I mean, I shot 
um, I think I shot the the around the world doco um, on an A7S Mark One, and then during that two and a half year doco, we I, I then upgraded it to the Mark Two, and then since then I've done a lot on Blackmagic cameras, and I mean you can you can do great things with these cameras. They're all really really good. I, I try not to become too attached to cameras, so. I try not to spend too much money on them and feel the need to like update them all the time. But I think that one of the key things is to, if you're going to shoot something on a camera, know it back to front, know what it does well, know what it doesn't do well, and then just tailor that to the project. So would I like to go back and shoot that round the world doco on something else? Yep. <laughs> There's things that I, when I watch um, segments from that, I'm like, oh, okay. I wish the skin tone was a bit nicer or, you know, what, whatever. But, um, but the cameras that I would use didn't exist back then. So you've just got to use what you've got access to at the time and, and do the best you can. And um, I've never heard any complaints, like, from people about what, what we shot for that doco. Um, yeah. I think for the most part, like, you're the only person who's really going to notice that, right? Yeah. Like, everyone would be like, oh, it's great. But you're like, oh, it's you know what I mean? Just that little thing. Yeah. I think it's kind of like musicians saying songs are never done. And, you know, I think directors, editors, DPs, you know, there's always something you want to change. Yeah. I think um, one of the key things for me um, between changing between cameras all the time is that I bought a small HD 502 um, years and years ago. And like, if you see mine, it looks like a tank, like it's, it's um, so scuffed up. It, <laughs> it, it, it does not look good. It's not in good condition, um, but I will use that on every single camera that I shoot on. So I used it with my my Sony cameras. I use it with my Blackmagic cameras. Um, I use it on my on an Ari when I shoot on Ari. Use it on a Red, and um, that the key to me is knowing the monitor that you're using, because if you're jumping between monitors, they're all made differently and it can deceive you. So get used to the the tools that you're using. Um, know the false color in your camera so that you can pretty much keep your false colors on and know exactly where your light levels are and just like learn how to read a, a waveform, all those kind of things that um, means that you can get consistent images out of whatever you're using. Yeah, totally. So then if you're, say like, for example, you're shooting on something or you're like meeting with a client, they want to shoot on something that you don't have a lot of experience with, how do you go about like, like researching that, are you like a YouTube guy or will you rent it out, take it out for a day and play with it? Or kind of what's what's your process for that? Yeah, so I had a, a producer who went out and bought an uh, FX6 from Sony. Yeah. And um, Sony, yeah. they wanted me to shoot something on it. And so I said, oh, what's the earliest I can get the camera off you so I can have at least like a weekend or something to get my head around the camera and just get a feel for the camera. Cause that's also important. Not just like knowing the technical, but like building it, rigging it up to what you need it to be for whatever, like whether you're operating off the shoulder or, um, so I like to get a feel for it. And, and the earlier I can get my hands on the camera, the better, but then I'll also watch YouTube, um, Alistair Chapman stuff, like someone that's had kind of, um, camera pre-production <laughs> time before it's released and like worked out some of the nitty gritty. Yeah. I think that that's kind of, that's kind of my process on that. Just try and get as hands on, you know, as early as possible. Yeah, man. No, that's, that's super encouraging, man. Cause I think 
sometimes there's a little bit of a, I don't want to say an ego, but they're like, oh yeah, I've used it a few times. But, you know, I think it's, it's good to hear, you know, somebody even at your level is like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do my research. I'm going to take it out. I'm going to play with it. Um, just to kind of get a feel of it. If you've got enough time, like take the director out and shoot some mm, stuff yeah, and try different things with it and see if they like the results mm-hmm. is another way to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. No, that's really practical. Um, yeah. So switching gears a bit, um, we've kind of talked a bit about your work, kind of how you gotten into it. Where do you want to go in the, in the future? Do you want to get into like features or do- stick with docos, music video, short form? Um, cause I know you do some, like, I've seen some of the passion projects you've done, you know, like abstract stuff has been pretty cool. Um, yeah. What are your, what are your plans? Or do you, sometimes some people have literally just said, I don't know, man, I'm just kind of taking it as yeah. it comes. I'm, I think, uh, I, I really enjoy projects that I can turn around fast. Um, and mm-hmm. so there's, yeah. there's something kind of nice about seeing a, a finished product relatively quickly. So I, I do enjoy doing those projects. Um, I also like doing long form. Um, I like doing a documentary series and, you know, if you've got to shoot 50 interviews for it, no matter where you are trying to make them all look the same, um, I like those challenges, yeah. like where you've got, you know, a long mm-hmm. road of, of getting things consistent. So, I, I mean, I'd, I'd love to do more narrative um, because I still have a youngish family, features haven't really been an option. Like I, I haven't been exploring that very much. Um, ultimately, I, yes, I'd like to, but it means being away from home a couple of months. So I, I probably wait a little bit longer unless the right offer <laughs> comes up before I dip my toes in that. But, you know, I've been shooting a lot more um, narrative work. I, I stopped doing short films for a while. Um, and I've, you know, in the last couple of years, decided to jump in and, and do a lot more of those because it is it is about working out how to how to light consistently um, across a scene and and trying things like that and building relationships with um, young directors who are who are looking to do narrative you know I, I think um, I, I'm not really too fussed to be honest like I I'm happy just to be working um, and you know, shooting cool projects. Um, I do a lot of not-for-profit work as well, which is often a really great challenge. Um, yeah, so with, with not-for-profits, they often don't have the great, great budgets. And so a lot of what I like doing is taking what you would do for a, co- a big commercial and scaling it down to whether you're shooting a doco or like a, a content piece, scaling that big production down into something um, smaller, so I, I shot a, a promo for a prison ministry recently, and the producer will come to me and say, oh, "I've got this much this much money to spend." I'm like, "Right, how can we make that budget feel a hundred times bigger?" Yeah, man. you know what I mean? Because that that challenge is so rewarding <laughs> when you can when you can take something that's meant to be small, yeah, totally. and make make it feel huge. And I did it with a with a, another. There was a young director who um, had a a university um, short film that he needed to do. And so he, he contacted me through Instagram and he said, oh, I really want to shoot this short film. All I've got is a script and a soundtrack. What can we do? And I was like, <laughs> right, this is, this is it. Like, let's, let's, yeah. let's yeah. take this to the next level. Um, 
so I, I really like doing that stuff as well. Like I, I like I, I like wowing people with just enthusiasm and <laughs> passion for something. Yeah, man. And I think it's good too because like it also shows them, you know, like if you can do that with like hardly any money, you know, think of like a bigger budget, you know what I mean? And I think it also makes you more resourceful, you know, like, cause I've seen like, you know, big like union features, you know, they can just throw money left and right and stuff. But, you know, um, I think it's always crazy. Like I remember um, someone I interned with there, this was like 20, like 14, one of their shorts got into Sundance and the year they were there, the, the one that won was shot on an iPhone five. Oh Yeah. Like, and they had like, they had like production lights and everything as well. But like, it's, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a really good thing to talk about, man. No. Um, yeah. So switching into the second part of the podcast, these are the three questions I just chat to everybody about. Um, and yeah, there's no right, no wrong answer. I just like hearing, um, you know, different perspectives because, you know, everybody's got a different kind of path that they've come down. Um, we've kind of chatted a bit, you know, you did study, I wouldn't necessarily say you went to film school, but you you were kind of in a in an environment that, um, you know, kind of pushed your creativity and did kind of lead you down there. Um, I guess I wouldn't even say if you could do it again, would you go to film school? But if there's somebody who's kind of contemplating it now, like when they're just getting started, what would you say? I mean, I didn't take the film school path because it was really hard to access back when I was coming up. So yeah. um, we had a film school in Sydney um, which was really well regarded, and uh, the DPs and directors that I knew were all um, older than me, and uh, and one of my mates uh, tried to get into the directing school there, and they wanted more life experience before they accepted people. I think film school is a little bit different now, like uh, because you know the internet's obviously opened up um, a lot of information for people um, that film schools are more happy to a little bit happier to take. Um, kind of whoever whoever wants to. Um, it's a, a little bit less exclusive now. Um, I, I, I might have gone. And um, I think the thing that I kind of missed out on not going was just the relationships um, yeah. that, that you form with people there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything against film school, but uh, it's, it's really possible to work things out in the industry if you kind of happy to put your hand up and work for as the kind of lowest rung, whether, you know, you're contributing to a project as a runner or you just, you know, trying to shadow um, a DP for a day or, you know, um, carrying bags around like this heaps you can learn. And sometimes like that learning just involves making mistakes, but you'd be yeah. making the same mistakes at film school as well. <laughs> yeah. You'd be paying a lot of money for it too. Um, no, that's actually, that's a really good point because like, you know, like I went to uni in 2012 and, you know, even since then it's become the, I think like you're totally right in saying with the internet, you know, people will just choose to do that. So now the film schools are much more like, yeah, come on in, like we'll, we'll take you. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's just kind of how, how things are changing in the industry. Like, yeah, there's a lot more, there's a lot more people in it, but there's also a lot more work and a lot more avenues. Like like you're saying, like social media was just coming out um, when you were getting into it. And um, yeah, man, no, that's a good point. I mean, that's that's how I'm learning color grading, you know? Like that's how, as someone that was strictly a DP, can then like know how things can be worked in color, in the color suite, you know? Like you just, I, I just watch videos on YouTube 
and and then you know get footage that I've shot and then see how far I can push it. And it's the same with using cameras, like doing doing testing, like push your camera, see what you can get out of it, see what things you like, see what things you don't like. Yeah, you just learn, 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 learn. <laughs> yeah, man. I think I think uh, like initiative and self motivation are big on that too. Like if you're not someone who can push yourself to learn online, like that is like one of the earlier guys. His name's Jordan. He was like, yeah, he's like, dude, if I didn't go to school, there's no way I would have learned it. He's like, I just like just didn't have that like drive to to do it and you know film school they kind of like kick you a little bit they're like hey you have to get this done if you want to graduate but that is that's something else yeah it's true (laughs) yeah um yeah second one and then you've kind of already touched on this a little bit but you know you've said you've you've owned a few cameras but you're also not too caught up in you know getting the latest thing which i think honestly is really refreshing because right now like anytime like i I open youtube and it's like new camera like panasonic released one sony's released one canon's released one it's like a7s like two it's a couple years ago a7s3 a7s3 um fx like do you know what i mean like it just keeps going um and i think people have said you know once you buy something you kind of kind of just accept that it's going to go out of date probably pretty quickly um at the beginning, I know, like, I know you've said you've owned cameras, but the same thing you've said, you, you kind of don't get too caught up in getting the biggest or the latest. Um, do you think there is value in renting gear or do you think it's it's kind of better to own? So the only camera I own at the moment is a, a Blackmagic Pocket 6K Pro. Yeah. And the reason I own it is because I was asked to go up and shoot um, a location scout up in Queensland for a feature film where I needed a camera for three weeks and it wasn't practical to rent one and it had NDs in it, which I was excited about. <laughs> and, uh, and it had an EVF. So I'm like, all right, I'll buy that and, and try it out. And um, the reason I've, I've still got it is I really like that camera and it's a useful camera to have. Um, I've kind of kept that. I'm not particularly attached to it. Like um, if if someone wants me to shoot on something else, like I'm, I'm not going to try and sold that camera onto any project where I don't think it fits. Um, and I mean, it's a relatively low cost camera to have sitting in your kit. Um, whereas if I owned a larger camera, I might be more inclined to push that onto projects where it didn't really suit the project. So it was the same with the A7S cameras. I bought them for that big around the world doco. But I mean, if, if someone asked me, what do you want to shoot on? I think about the project and what is going to work. And so if that's an Ari camera, awesome. Like I love the Amira. It's my kind of go-to if I don't need a camera that's too compact. I just like the way it's balanced. And uh, I'll shoot on that whenever I can. But if the budget doesn't allow it, the Blackmagic Ursa Mini Pros are like, they're not too far off you know, what you can do in terms of the, yeah. the picture. And um, they're obviously quite a lot cheaper, uh, which which helps with, you know, rental costs or... So I think at the end of the day, like, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to rent. Um, but sometimes it makes sense to own it. Like, if you were shooting weddings, um, I think it makes sense to own a camera. What that camera is, that's for you to decide based on whether you want to complain about yeah. the camera being heavy or not. <laughs> Or whether yeah. you want autofocus, which is something that I, I personally never use, but I understand that there's applications where 
that needs to be used and, and the FX um, sixes and the FX threes and A7 um, cameras now like all have yeah. amazing autofocus and I can see applications for that. That's a great way to look at it. I actually never thought of it that way. And I think I think you're totally right. When you when you own it, you're very like, yeah, bro, it's great. Because when I had when I had an A7S, man, I was like, anytime work would be like, all right, what do you want to shoot? And I was like, all right, boys, we're going Sony all the way, hundred percent. And now I got a Black Magic. I'm like, oh, I'm like, dude, we gotta shoot on the pocket, hundred percent. And uh, it, it kind of does make you a bit biased without without realizing it. And, and um, I think I think that one, sorry, one of the other things is that you need to like buy into a lens system yeah. with whatever you do as well. So that's the other like. Um, and so I own a set of EF um, lenses. They're just like stills lenses that I can use if there's no budget to rent lenses. And I own a set of PL lenses, which you know I can use on certain cameras. So it really just depends. I'd rather rent high quality glass and save money on the camera than I would rent a high-end camera and have to skimp on the glass. Nah, man, that's a good way to look at it. Um, yeah. And then last question. Uh, and again, like, you know, this, like you and I went to school a little while back, but I think nowadays, you know, a lot of people, especially when you're starting out, they're like, Hey, I'm being asked to come intern for free or volunteer for free. I know obviously there's a limit to that when there's a line between, you know, you know, being a sponge and learning and, and being taken advantage of what's your, what's your kind of rule on that? Like, how do you, um, like obviously now you're not working for free, but you know when you're first starting out, what's where's the line for somebody who's kind of trying to like get into the business but doesn't necessarily want to be taken advantage of? I mean, starting out, I was shooting those behind the scenes docos um, for particularly for like one day music videos for like five hundred dollars, yeah. oh, including wow. editing. You know what I mean? I guess it's all stepping stones. So that's why I was saying it was like important to kind of not say no to kind of corporate work if it allows you the opportunity to to do some free work that you're actually really learning from. Um, and like I'll still do free shoots, um, but they're collaborations. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Passion Where projects, yeah. A, a, yeah, a, a, re- a director will come to, to me and say, oh, I want you to shoot this. And if, you know, I like the idea, I'm like, yep, let's do it. And so, um, yeah, I, I guess it comes down to, knowing your worth as as a creator and then balancing that with but I also want to work on some really cool projects and sometimes those really cool projects can't be monetized yeah no it's real man it's totally real i think it's a good way to look at it like if it's a favor for a friend there's there's obviously exceptions for that but you know if it's something that you're like this is a really dope project you know i'd love to hop on it because i've done it too i'm like oh dude that's sick and i'm like they're like oh there's no money i'm like you know what, dude let's just do it i'll grab my stuff and we'll go um because at the end of the day like you know you can they don't know you're working for free you can put it on your reel you can put it on your website um and you know and that can definitely you know lead to other jobs yeah it's a great way to to bolster your your reel um is you know go out and and shoot something with with friends for free but yeah I, I think the line is that if it's a if you're doing corporate work you need to you need to be paid for it um, and I know sometimes that can be you're starting to build relationships with that whoever the client is but if you set your worth too low it's really really hard to build it up from there do you know what I'm saying yeah yeah and I think I think you're right too is like 
you know, you're saying if a director comes up to me and he's like, I have this idea, you know, it's, it's not a big company because companies, you know, a lot of the time corporate, it's not their money. You know what I mean? It's company money. So it is available. Whereas a director, you know, he could be like, dude, I have an idea. I have a weekend free. Do you want to do it? You know, so it is, uh, that is a really good way of looking at it too, actually, is, is they are different in that sense. And corporate is, it is definitely tougher to kind of, once you've said, yeah, I'll do it for free. It's harder to kind of keep that going up. Another thing too, is that I'm, I've kind of learned over the years that despite what people say, never expect to work with the same people again. Yeah. Um, so whether that's them saying, oh, we'd love to use you all the time. Like, I, I don't listen to that anymore. So that's that's not really an incentive uh, because I've done big like national TV commercials and like put everything into it, right? And then the relationship's really great and then you never hear from that agency again. Yeah. And so you can't put weight in the fact that people will say, oh, we'll hire you again, do it cheap this time. Yeah, <laughs> no, totally, man. Like when they say the first of many projects, it's like, yeah, okay, buddy. Um, yeah. And I think it's like, you're right. It's not being cynical. It's just kind of being realistic. Um, and it's not a bad way, you know, you got to look out for yourself. And it's it's often not a personal thing either. Like, yeah, no, totally. You know, you, you've done, you've done that, that project, you've executed it well. Mm-hmm. And then for whatever reason, like, Producers will change at the at the agency, or you know whatever it might be. You can't take it personally, but also you can't you can't put too much weight into it. Yeah, man, dude. Well, this has been, oh man, it's been such a good chat, and I think you've done really well at you know, especially you know, getting kind of into some technical stuff, you know, like learning your craft, but also some like specific camera stuff. You know, you've done a really good job of like, you know, not getting too technical that people won't understand. But it's been really good to kind of you know. If you're starting out, this is what you should be looking at. Don't get caught up, you know, in the rat race of the camera game. Yeah, dude. Now, if people want to find you, uh, like on your website or socials, where can they find you? Uh, so I'm Instagram Bradley J Economy. Uh, that's that's probably where I'm most active. Although yeah. I have over the last few projects um, realized the worth of having a behind the scenes camera on set. Yeah. Not not just to make like a BTS of everything. But like more focused on how does a steady cam, yeah, <laughs> um, like the op- one that you and Ryan, work. the one that you and Ryan did last week, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to be posting a lot more of that kind of content. Um, and I did, I shot a video the other night, which will I'll, I'll release at some stage soon, um, where for the Blackmagic Pocket 6K Pro, I bought the I don't know if we can give plugs, but it's the tilter cage with the EVF that's remote. Oh, so it's got really? like a cable to set it remote. And I hadn't seen any videos or anything about it. So I just kind of shot like this is what it looks like. So I'm going to start to do more of that kind of stuff. Um, I know uh, time's probably up, but... No, man, t- talk it up. All right, cool. One of the things that was really tricky um, coming up was that um, being a DP was you kind of had like secrets um, and you kept them because it was your style and you didn't really share knowledge much. Um, that's been thrown wide open now and there's a lot more information. And so one of the things that I really like doing is, is teaching people what I know, whether it's like, it's not the only way, but it's the way that I like to do things. So, um, you'll know from when we've worked on things like that, I have certain practices that I do that I can, I can say, Hey, like, if you want to see what I'm doing here, this is why I'm doing it. Yeah. If you want to implement that when you're doing something, then so an example is like, you'll know from when I'm shooting doco stuff, like 
I carry overhead frames like silks and magic cloth and all that kind of stuff. And I yeah. always try and soften over the head. Now it's a, a real pain when you're on location. Yeah, and it's windy. To drag, drag all that gear around with you, but the <laughs> results are like so much better. Yeah, 100%. It's more flattering for the talent. It saves their eyes from like squinting, like just all those things that, that they're a pain to do, but if you do them, they add value. So I'm kind of big into sharing that kind of stuff with people if they if they want to know so yeah man no and like oh dude we appreciate it man like i've i've learned so much working with you you know like from like the a7s days up to the pocket you know even like we were shooting in the studio i forget it was um it would have been like maybe cop like eight months ago nine months ago and we had a bunch of like overhead um like overhead stuff in the studio and like prism stuff and my manager uh, I remember because they were like archiving it like a month ago and he was like, that's the best the studio's ever looked, you know, and just <laughs> seeing those like nice, like, and it's, it's not even, not even, sometimes it is like a big change, like, you know, like hauling this huge silk everywhere, you know, like when mm-hmm. you're in, in, out in the middle of the outback and whatnot, um, you know, sometimes it's literally just as, as subtle as, you know, having a prism at the end of a track on a slider or a dolly or whatnot. Um, and yeah, dude, I think it's, you know, it's a really good way to, um, you know, share, but also for other people to learn, you know, when you're posting all that behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. If you don't have access to a DP, find one that'll answer your questions and just ask ask them questions or find DPs on YouTube and watch their stuff, watch their behind the scenes, see how they're doing things, try and work out why they're doing things. The other huge thing for me was working with a gaffer who in Australia is is just lighting Mm-hmm. which is a little bit different to, I think, the, the US system. But when I started to shoot with a gaffer, I just like asked him questions all the time. Like, why are we doing this book light? Why does that make sense for this scenario? Why should we have an over the head? And then once you once he's explained those things to you, even though he might be using like a, a massive tungsten 5K, you can then scale what he's taught you down and do a, a tiny book light for your interview that you've got no budget for. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. These principles aren't expensive principles if you're doing them on a small scale. They might be a little bit more work. It might be a little bit more gear that you have to cart around. But at the end of the day, like it'll take what you're producing and 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 the images that you're making to the next level. Yeah. And I think too, like, you know, even just what you're saying, you gotta be a sponge, you gotta ask questions. But I think also you know, not, not being on your high horse and not having too much pride to ask questions, you know, like, um, cause for me, like personally, I'm like, dude, if I have a question, I'm like, all right, I'm going to ask this person. I'm going to text Brad. I'm going to ask this. Um, and I think, you know, as, as people kind of like climb up the ladder and stuff, you know, people will look up to them and they'll be like, oh, I have questions. And I think no matter how high you go, I think it's important that you have somebody that you can ask questions to, right? Because you're never going to be in, you're never going to finish learning, especially, um, you know, in a role like a DP where things are constantly changing. Yeah. And that, for me, that relationship was, uh, there's a few other DPs that I can ask them mm-hmm. um, questions, people that I've worked stuff out with or who are coming up with the same thing and they, they work something out before you do and you kind of share that information. Um, but then, the, yeah, the, the gaffer for me was like just such a, a mind blown moment in, um, in, in my learning. So yeah, just ask them, ask people that are better than you yeah. how, to, how to do stuff. And I'm actually at the point now where um, I don't have to tell my gaffer how I want something lit. Like 
because we work so much together. We have a shorthand. He knows, but I'm I'm kind of like starting to feel a little bit uneasy about that. I'm like, oh, okay, so if he, he if he knows like the way that I like things, what am I missing? And so um, I, I shot a commercial with him six months ago, and I said to him on set, like, I know that you know how I would like this, but I want you to show me something different, um, just to keep me on my toes. Like, just always trying to learn something on set. Yeah, and I think too, like. I think it's really easy, you know, when you find someone that you click really well with, it's easy to kind of get comfortable and get into a rhythm. But I think it's good to be aware of, you know, yeah, I'm getting a little comfortable. How can I push it? How can I kind of think a little bit more outside the box? Because, um, yeah, dude, oh, it happens. I think it happens everywhere, you know, like DPs and colorists, DPs and gaffers, um, you know, script writers, development. Like, I'm sure it happens everywhere. But I think that's pretty applicable to pretty much anybody in any role. One thing I've noticed recently, well, actually probably over the last three or four years maybe, is that I like a certain amount of control in what I'm shooting. Um, I think Kevin was talking about in the last podcast, he, he, he kind of feels frustrated when something's not quite right and you're the same. Like I know if, if, if there's something in the, in the background of your shot that it will just irritate you and eat you up and like directors and producers that I work with know that like, It'll put me in a bad mood. Yeah. Like, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be down about it. You know, yeah. like I'll feel really down about it. And um, I think sometimes I need to recapture some of that stuff, uh, some of the techniques that I used back when I knew nothing. Yeah, break the rules a bit. Yeah, and, and it's not, it's not, it's not even breaking the rules. It's breaking your rules, the things that you've established for yourself. Um, at some point where you're like, oh, I really, I really like the way that the camera moves when it's on a dolly or whether it's on a steady cam or, you know, I I really like that smoothness. And it's like, hang on a second. Like I used to shoot stuff with such energy back in the day when I had none of that gear, when it was handheld and I was like chasing after someone with a camera. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think even when you know, even when you have a style and you know, what you like, I think it's good to double back on. Yeah, and I think it's tough too. Like when you're, when when people are are really happy with that. Like, say you 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 shoot you shoot you shoot. You have like a really distinct style, and everyone's like, "Dude, this is awesome. This is great." I think it's easy to to kind of want to play it safe, but you know exactly what you're saying. You're like, "Oh, I dude, I remember when I just grabbed the camera and I would just run around. I didn't care if it was in focus or what, you know what I mean? Like you're like, I didn't care if it was stable. I just go with it. And I think that's a really healthy way to, to push the boundaries. Cause I, I know even people that I follow and I look up to, um, sometimes I'll see them post something and I'm like, dude, that's, that's totally different to everything they've done. But I'm like, that's a really good way of keeping it fresh because you don't want to be a one trick pony at the end of the day. You really want to, you know, be diverse. And I think it's good to to specialize in something. Like I know a lot of people are like, uh, you're a good DP for docos. This is a great music video DP and whatnot. But I think even in those niches, you have to be diverse enough to to kind of um, like say say for a music video. It's good if you have a specific like a specific style of music video, but you got to be able to make the music videos look different enough as well. Yeah, that's true. I, I actually didn't shoot a lot of music videos for a while because I felt like every music video was just um, the band wanting to watch themselves rock out. Oh, dude, 100%. And uh, it just it became like so boring, um, the idea of shooting that. 
Um, and then, and then I'd shoot stuff where the band wasn't even in it. Um, and it was just kind of like a narrative that we'd go out and shoot like somewhere in remote, um, remote New South Wales. Yeah. And that stuff has the energy, you oh, know, like yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the stuff that, that interests me. Um, not to say that the band, like bands rocking out can't be cool because there's plenty of examples of where it is, but, um, I think connection to the music comes through other can come through other ways. Totally. Yeah. So you're talking about uh, your relationship just with uh, with the gaffer. Do you have any other, um, you know, like camera ops or like steady cam ops that you like to work with? Yeah. So um, I've got a, a mate Ryan who, um, if you watch the behind the scenes footage from a shoot that I did in an abandoned prison recently, um, there's BTS of exactly how he works. And the reason why I went with a, a steady cam op for that is that I think sometimes it it might be easy to just go, oh, let's just throw that on a gimbal. Um, but for me, uh, particularly in, in the types of movements that I wanted to do uh, for that um, spot, we were able to do something um, and have Ryan control the steady cam while we're kind of going around and around the talent in a way that would have been really fiddly for a gimbal. Um, yeah, because that was a long, I know that was a long shot. Like it was really long. Yeah, and we did it, we did it maybe six times. We did it probably uh, three times before the sun had hit the sweet spot, just as kind of like getting a, a feel for it and coaching the, the actor through. Um, and then we did kind of three takes where the sun was in the perfect position. But it's just, if you can become friends and, and collaborators with people that are really, really good at their job, um, Ryan is really, really good at Steadicam. And so whenever you have him doing a camera movement that I could never do, um, or if I had it, if I was just doing it on a gimbal, I would never pull off that same movement. Um, and so I, I guess it's like, if there's, some, if there's a, a style of moving the camera or something, get the best person that you can to do that. So um, like for instance, with, with drone operating, get the best person that you know. Like I don't operate drones. Um, I leave that to people that do it all the time and are really good at it. So one of the things that if you don't have much budget um, but you know someone that's got a drone, tell them the kind of shot that you want them to do and just get them to practice it and say, come on my set and your only job for that day is to get that drone moving. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with me, dude. Um, where can the guys find you on? Uh, I never already said it, but where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so uh, the main social platform I use is is Instagram. So it's Bradley J Economy um, is is my username on that. That's where I'm most active. But I also have a YouTube and Vimeo channel. But Instagram is where where I post most of my stuff. Cool, man. Well, guys, thanks for listening. This has been the uh, Just for Filmmakers podcast, and my name is Justice. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time.